So when you try to explain the problem of big tech, what do you say to people? I tell people that personal information gives institutions power over them, the power to make decisions, the power to understand the world. So we're living in a world now where there is asymmetric advantages in sensing, sense-making and decision-making capacity based on data. And while we have, each one of us has a brain that can sense and make sense and take decisions, companies that have large amounts of personal information and other information can know more about the world, can make more sense of the world and can make more decisions about the world, decisions and sensing that you can't even perceive. So we are increasingly living in a world where it's almost like dealing with an alien. We can't even understand the things that a Facebook or Google knows about us. Increasingly living with an alien, that's a rather dramatic thing to say. If it, it, it's as if the data, the data give certain actors the ability to understand the world in ways we can't perceive. So for instance, let's say a, a common example is you would rather not reveal your sexual orientation. So we all have an idea of how we would shield this personal fact about us from other people. But maybe the fact that you linger on photographs of men or of women for microseconds more than you linger on photographs of other people, that tells the platform that something about your preferences, something that you don't even understand you're revealing. Something that you may not have even revealed to yourself yet. Exactly. So you could imagine, so a charged example is sexual orientation, but you could imagine a hundred other ideas about yourself that could be health issues that you'd rather not relate to others. Um, um, it could be other preferences, aspects of your politics and so on, that all can be revealed by subtle signals, how you use words, what you search for, and so on. And as users, we can't even perceive this asymmetry in the understanding of the world. So Facebook has been gracious enough over the past couple of months to provide me with the world's best opening anecdote for a podcast about this topic. Uh, I have plenty of, of information now that, that people will recognize and feel viscerally about why it's a problem that Facebook is so large and Facebook is making so many choices for us. Uh, but you've been critical of Google for a long time, and I feel like Google has kind of escaped the spotlight lately. So I'm hoping you can help me explain that this is not a Facebook problem. This is a big tech problem. So maybe using Google as an example, why, why is it a problem that Google has as much power as it does? Google has many of the signals um, from our activities online. Google has an unparalleled aperture on internet use which means that even when you're not using Google products, Google can tell what you're doing online. So um, you, you, could imagine, you could think of uh, Google as the kind of NSA of 
of the internet. They have tracking of, uh, facilities on almost every website and almost every app. So there's no way to kind of escape its aperture. And it's a company with a tricky culture. Uh, it's a company with a culture that doesn't see the individual as having um, intrinsic value. And this goes back to, um, um, you know, look at uh, Larry Page and, and so on. Uh, feelings that we can treat our users as experimental subjects and not as individuals. So I think Google's um, um, Google is a very interesting company to look at in depth. It has a public persona, but it also has a depth. Um, and um, if you look at like its employees, I mean, it has, you know, for instance, it has an employee who has um, asserted Fifth Amendment rights concerning the different ways um, that employee was collecting data from people's private networks. Um, it has um, em employees who have in the past been hackers, and these are not these are not always white hat hackers. Um, so it's done a great job portraying the kind of primary colors and the, you know where the good guys. But it doesn't take much to get below that service and see a disdain for the user, um, a, a deep elitism, and a deep instinct to treat people as instruments. I want you to say more about that elitism. I wasn't expecting that word. Yeah, I mean, the, the, um, this, this is what comes from only hiring from the Ivies. Google has a, so I know, I mean, I know a lot of people at the company. Google has a lot of smart people. The problem with, the problem that comes out of the company is that if, if you think you're smart enough, you think any problem, you can master any problem. And it, this leads to a kind of cycle of arrogance. Um, a lot of Google products are show this arrogance. Um, the, for instance, the activities surrounding Street View, where the company programmed its systems essentially to wiretap everyone's uh, Wi-Fi routers is... Um, you know, that didn't happen by accident. That required someone affirmatively to write that code to collect that information. And it suggests the idea um, that if they can collect data from you, they will. A kind of uh, law of the jungle approach to people's rights and interests. Um, I had someone explain to me uh, the other day an example I thought that was quite powerful uh, about the, the problem of Google's black box and the decisions that Google makes for people. Um, the medical profession, for all its uh, foibles, uh, has gone to great lengths to train doctors that when uh, they face a patient who's in a, a serious situation, that they, they want to, it's their job to give the patients as much information as possible so the patients can make an informed choice. But ultimately, the patient has to make the choice. So prostate cancer, for example, you prostate cancer diagnosis, Often patients are told, here are your six, seven, eight treatment options. You know, go home and think about all the potential side effects and you know, everything else in your life and come back and tell me what to do. That's, um, that, that's a, those transactions don't always go well, but doctors in general try to do that, walk that line between providing information but not dictating. 
Uh, but in reality, today, what happens is that patient will go home and Google prostate cancer. And so instead of their doctor telling them what treatment to get, Google is effectively telling them what treatment to get. And how does Google make that pick? How does, how does Google give us some options first, some options later? Uh, we don't really know. That, and that's a disturbing amount of power, it seems. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's interesting. It's not hard anymore to build a search engine. And it, in fact, if you try a different search engine, you might find that it works just as well as Google. So I think a lot of the company's power is based on this kind of inertia and it's, um, you know, in defaults, like the fact that Google was paying billions of dollars to Apple to be the default search engine, um, is a realization that, you know, Bing is pretty much just as good. Um, and so to get ahead nowadays, they have to do these types of tricks. And that's a lot of what gives them their power. Um, is user inertia and even the idea that the idea that people don't even know that there are other choices out there that you could you could take okay so back to your your example of the wi-fi router and we could probably come up with router data collection we come up with a whole bunch of others um in uh, in the history of commerce uh, what often happens in situations like that is either a regulator steps in uh, law enforcement steps in, a private citizen files a lawsuit, and those things uh, get the attention of the company to, and it changes its ways. Um, it, it seems now that these large tech companies are so large and have so much money that they're, they're, they're not that interested in, in that sort of deterrent. And in fact, you said something at that Duke panel. Um, I'm going to paraphrase it and feel free to rephrase it if you want. But it really struck me as the problem that there's not much point in passing a privacy law if Google isn't going to bother to follow it. Uh, that strikes me as a remarkable statement of, of Google's power and indifference towards regulators. So what did you mean by that? And, and let's talk now about how a company like Google might actually be brought to heel. If we are to pass a privacy law on the federal level in the United States, I think we have to start by articulating our, our policy goals and getting a shared um, meaning and a shared buy-in in those goals. Unfortunately, where we are today is that is, is um, a point of loggerheads where we have privacy advocates arguing for maximal privacy law protections. And uh, we have an industry that essentially thinks that the whole enterprise of privacy doesn't make a lot of sense. And so it's almost like battling an oil company that doesn't think the environment is an important value. I, and I would say, you know, this might sound crazy, but even oil companies realize that the environment is a public value. They might, they might choose to not protect it as much as you would like, um, but they would say, you know, people like recreation at least, and we have these wonderful parks and so on. But in privacy land, it is still the case that the people at the helm of companies like Google and Facebook and Amazon um, do not agree that privacy is a legitimate value. They think it is foolish to pursue privacy as a goal and um, that it, privacy is getting in the way of a future that would be awesome, mega awesome, so awesome that um, 
being concerned about privacy would, in, in retrospect, will seem like a, um, a, um, a big error, um, a big mistake in judgment. So if your adversary doesn't agree at all with your values, it's hard to see why that adversary would embrace the rules and follow them. Instead, they're going to try to undermine them or make the rules futile.